This is Lindy Kaiser. Welcome to the Security Clearance Careers Podcast. Today we're talking with Christopher Burgess, the CEO of Prevendra. He's here to talk about Authentication 101. The Department of Defense recently announced that they were going to be updating the Common Access Card System of Authentication. So we're going to dig into a little bit more about what that might mean for you, what other methods of authentication are out there, and some more of the applications. So Christopher, thank you so much for being with us. You know, we're talking about CAT cards, we're talking about the DOD CAC system, and they're announcing about upgrading that method of authentication. A lot of users, they might not even think of their CAC as authentication. So let's just talk Authentication 101 for those who aren't familiar. What's the purpose of authentication and what format is the CAC? Authentication is required so that systems know who is accessing their environment and what part of the system. Within the government classified environments, the rules of least privileged access or need to know prevail. So a login could be used by anyone. So authentication, it's requiring something which the user has. Ergo, that CAC, also known as the common access card. And the smart card variety came about in around year 2006 so that the individual would not have to have multiple devices, be they fobs, ID cards, or dongles to access their place of employment or systems. The current CAC has a 2048-bit encryption in place and can be used for visual identification, that's your picture, a magnetic strip, you know, so they can swipe it for different goods or services, has an integrated circuit chip which requires a PIN, that's a second level of authentication that only you and the system know. So if you lose the card, where that pin is needed, somebody else couldn't use it. Barcodes for scanning, and it has RFID, radio frequency identity, for proximity use. So it truly is an all-in-one card. For me, thinking about, it's been literally seven years since I left DOD, and I remember firsthand experience of having a CAC. So for me, it was like, wow, I can't believe they've had this technology around so long, considering how quickly everything in IT seems to evolve. So can you speak to that a little bit? So they're talking about upgrading it now. So why now? And then maybe, you know, what progress has the CAC seen over time? I'm going to disagree a little with the position that DOD hasn't evolved, because they have. They were on the forefront of ensuring strong encryption was part of the CAC back as far as 2008. And then in 2012, they required all cards to use this 2048-bit encryption, which is one of the most advanced level of encryption using RSA encryption systems that you can have. What they did in 2012 was render all cards before then obsolete and of no use other than for visual verification. So if somebody didn't get their card reissued and updated, their old card was only good enough for somebody to check your ID to make sure the picture matches you for access, uh, physical access that did not require any technology. Now, to your point that DOD authentication may need, indeed need evolving, I agree there as well. I think the DOD Chief Information Officer, Terry Halverson's statement for the need for change is indicative that it needs to move beyond that physical ID that you stick in a box or stick in a device and enter your PIN code or it automatically picks up and goes on to biometrics or behavior-based systems 
which are all key areas of evolution that research has been active since about 2012. Speak a little bit more to what behavior-based authentication might look like. So you mentioned biometric, familiar with maybe a fingerprint or an eye scan. What what exactly would behavior-based authentication look like? Biometrics, iris scan, heart rhythm, fingerprints, voice recognition, those are things that come out of your body that can be patterned and identified. But behavioral analysis is much different. It might be screen, if you have a touch screen, and you, the way you touch your screen, which fingers do you use to touch your screen? Semantic and syntactic web browsing. You know, what are the words you use in your search? What is the syntax that you use? And then they have what they call style metry. And that, how does a person type? What is the use language they have? What are the keyboard dynamics? How do you use your mouse? Where does your mouse normally pass through? And then lastly, they've come up with what they call covert games, which is teaching a user a pattern of system aberration. So it's something that's not normal, but I can teach you to use it on my system and how you use it on my system will identify you. It's pretty out there, but it's also confirmatory. You're able to run tests and they have done dry runs and the results are pretty amazing. That it, It's very interesting, but also slightly scary to me. So I'll say my husband's an engineer and I am a creative type and he frequently reminds me that I am devoid of all logic. And so I feel like if I had one of these behavioral-based systems, I would have trouble replicating the same behavior multiple times. But you but don't have to, because what it does is over a period of time, it detects your behavior. And, on, and when somebody, say somebody wants to spoof you, they can't spoof your behavior. They can't spoof how you use your keyboard. They can't spoof how you wake up your keyboard, how you use your mouse. Which, which finger is predominant? How do you use your roller bar? Those are things that we all don't realize we're doing it, but we all do it uniquely. Does this technology already exist? Are other, other companies outside of DoD already using this method of authentication? The primary area of research is being driven by DARPA. They began their, their study back in 2012, and they identified those four areas as great usage areas, and their initial results, which they presented in 2013, so that's three years ago at a conference, displayed some soft results from their testing, which would make any CISO smile. And I have a quote here, and it says, while the correct user can work through a regular workday without being falsely rejected, meaning their patterns are being recognized and they don't have to authenticate, the incorrect user would be detected within 10 seconds using keyboard, six interactions, roughly three keys, or less than 3.5 minutes using the mouse with 86 interactions. And what the system does is when it detects an anomaly, it stops and asks you to authenticate. That's an authentication that goes beyond the behavior. So the behavior says, I have an anomaly. Now it goes to that second level of authentication. What's your PIN? You know, uh, what, what are your challenge phrases? Do you have a device? Do you have a, a PIN service? So Clearance Jobs, for example, has a second factor authentication they use for their blog. That company's service pushes a, a message to my phone, which I have, and that would be a way to authenticate. There's another company out there that does heartbeat analysis, and you wear a bracelet, and it has your heart pattern, and you just touch it, and it authenticates you to your device. That touching that device makes the circuit of your heartbeat. 
there. And so the short range radio sends it to your, your device, be it a tablet or a desktop. And now you've been authenticated. And what it's doing is saying, somebody's at my machine and it doesn't look like it's the user I was expecting at my machine. Prove to me you are who you say you are. Your banks do this a little bit when you log in from a device that the IP address it doesn't recognize. They make you go through the authentication a second time to make sure that it's you and not somebody that has guessed your password. So you said the technology is pretty stable. Maybe it's just a recognition that they need to move to a more multi-factor authentication process rather than just a card and a pin. You're going to have something beyond that. Well, it ha- they have to, and it's because of cost and operational necessity. Expense is always, sadly, an operational necessity to cut as close to the bone as possible. In order for DOD to operate the CAC, they have a robust infrastructure behind it. In addition, if you were an active duty person or you were a reservist, you would have one CAC for that role. But then, uh, say, during your day to- daylight hours, if you're a reservist, your day job, you are a contractor, you'd have a CAC for that role. New technologies allow for multi-role device authentication in one device. So that's going to be a cost savings. And then Halverson specifically called out in his press conference earlier, two years to uh, behavioral or biometric-based authentication, that, look, this isn't working for us. When mortar shells are falling all about you and you've lost your CAC, you don't have time to get it replaced. We need to be able to authenticate a person in crisis immediately. Mm -hmm. Totally valid for that environment, the DOD. Is biometrics or behavioral base going to be the panacea used for all cases? Absolutely not. And Halverson called that out. He says, look, CAC may be used to access buildings, but I'm not going to have it be the only access for DOD IT systems. So we're going to see the implementation and use of uh, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, near-frequency devices to determine an an individual's ability to access a given area. So IDs are going to be around, but they may stop being the card that we're used to and may evolve to being a wristband. But that badge is a great counter-espionage, counter-intelligence security tool for individuals who are walking your halls. Mm-hmm. Because you ha- you know you can put a six by six square on somebody, bright red box that says they're a visitor or they're not cleared for this area, and you tell them you have to wear it. You know, I- I've been in companies where they give you a vest. Hmm. You know, please wear this visitor's vest while you're here. I've been in other companies where they give me a badge, and as I walk through the building, my host said, "Walk over there to that hallway." And it says, you know, please do not, visitors, please do not enter this hallway. And I walked to the hallway as instructed. And as soon as I had passed through the threshold, the doors in front of me locked. And an alarm went off saying, I'm sorry, you're unauthorized access. Would you please wait for security to come and escort you? So they were using technology to monitor the movement of visitors within their environment. And again, this is great for CAC. You can do it right now with CAC, but it also evolved nicely to the biometric systems that are more wearable and not as clunky. Okay, you mentioned that cost, so it doesn't seem to me that biometrics would be a cheaper option, but that seems to be what DOD is alluding to, that moving on to a different authentication does have some cost savings involved. 
Well, it, it's a cheaper option when you look at it from two different ways. Uh, biometrics, if let's just take the battlefield scenario because that's the one he used, which is I'm still me in a battlefield even if I can't find my card. That time loss has great value in the grand scheme of things. So if I can still access my system without having a card because I'm me, then that has tremendous value to an individual who's out on the battlefield. If I'm back in my office space, I can access my environment easily, then it, then that cost factor is less noticeable because you're using it in what I would call a benign environment. One that doesn't have uniqueness to the DOD influenced upon it because lots of people keep secrets. Lots of people have secure environments and secure processing. Lots of entities don't have warfighters. Thus, that's what makes this a little bit different, but they still want that one ID, that one system for DOD IT systems. And biometrics and behavior seems to make sense to me. So you already alluded to this a little bit, you know, talking about the CAC as being both a method of authentication and your workplace ID. What are the advantages and disadvantages of having a system that basically encompasses both? Well, you, you have less to lose. <laughs> Uh, I, I can't tell you the number of devices that have fallen off my key ring, uh, I've left behind, I've been in a machine, and I get up to uh, go to lunch, and I forget it in there, and somebody picks it up because they're doing uh, their, their security duty because I didn't do mine. And if you're biometric, if you're wearing the device, if there are additional devices that you're wearing, the odds of the inadvertent loss reduces. But on the counterintelligence and the counter-espionage side, that's where the real improvement happens because I can give up a CAC to someone. And if I give them my PIN and I give them the CAC, they can mimic me. They can mimic me remotely because if I have a remote terminal with a reader on it, there's no way of you knowing who's sitting behind the machine as I plug in. But if I have a biometric device, then you know it's me because you're, it, it, it's my unique biometric signature. Thus, you raise the level of authentication. Then, as I'm using the system, you're going to know whether it's me or not because of the means by which I use my keyboard, my, my mouse, etc. Or did I just log in under duress, hit the biometric thing, and then they put the blindfold and bag over my head, moved me away, and they, they went back to the keyboard. And they're going to have to keep bringing me back to authenticate about every five minutes because their keystrokes don't match mine. So what we're doing is we're raising the level of the ability for somebody to break trust with a nefarious outsider by going to biometrics and behavior. And I hate to say it, we live in an environment where we trust, but trust and verify is what the reality is. I mean, Edward Snowden taught us that, you know, he, as uh, we discussed in a piece I wrote a few years ago, you know, he hoodwinked four of his colleagues into providing him their access. That could not have happened in a behavioral or a biometric scenario. So, yes, you're really kind of upping the ante on what already exists when it comes to authentication. Absolutely. There's a great many beautiful devices out there that I like for authentication myself. I talked about the one you all use. There's a company that has one that goes into a tablet and you register it with that tablet and it always has to be on for that tablet to use a given service. I've been looking at and researching deeply one that measures your heart rhythm and uses that. Uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, we're raising the bar and that's what you constantly need to do. What you so frequently write about for us, another day, another hack. And so it seems like authentication is something that 
the average user maybe perhaps in the past hasn't always thought about. Now, whether it's a blog or whether it's your banking, I think no matter what, private sector companies, of course, the Department of Defense is realizing that the more layers of authentication you can get, the safer your systems will be. Exactly. Exactly. And I don't think, in, uh, be it uh, DOD or private enterprise, I don't think there's a, a system out there worth its salt that doesn't use two-factor authentication right now. I think everyone recognizes the password user ID combination is vulnerable. Is there anything about authentication you wanted to school me no, in I, next? I think it's, a, it, it's an area that is going to continue to evolve. There's a FIDO alliance out there that's trying to create standards for it. DARPA's research is really interesting. I, I went in and I read a bit of that in anticipation of this interview. I, I think the future for uh, the geeks is going to be a lot of fun, and I think they're going to be successful in the authentication if, uh, for those of us with the artistic bent, don't have difficulty using it, then we will, because the role that convenience trumps security has never gone away. Yeah, the geeks are winning, that's for sure, so. so the... <laughs> <laughs> They're having fun for now. This is Lindy Kaiser. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast. For more on authentication, cybersecurity, and the Department of Defense, visit news.clearancejobs.com.